Hi there, you're listening to the Paralegals on Fire podcast show where you'll be getting tips and actionable strategies that you can use right now to fast track your paralegal career. I'm your host, Ann Pearson, former paralegal and paralegal manager who left big law in the concrete jungle to start my own company, the Paralegal Bootcamp, where we give online courses that help paralegals make more money, increase their job security, and cut out the learning curve. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. Have you seen or have you been a part of the discussion about paralegals being worried about their jobs being replaced by overseas virtual legal assistants? Or the discussion around AI taking paralegal jobs? Let's assume for the first part of this episode that those things are true. The type of paralegal jobs that could be taken by overseas legal assistants are not the types of jobs that you want, trust me. The types of jobs that can be taken by those overseas assistants are the ones where the lawyers can't afford to pay more than $15 an hour, or maybe they've had huge turnover because they're jerks to work for. If you have a paralegal certificate, you should not be working for $15 an hour, even right out of school. I know people say, Take any job you can just to get your foot in the door and you'll eventually make more money. No, you won't. Not at those firms. That firm that can only afford or thinks that you're only worth $15 an hour, they're not going to be giving you a big fat raise next year. They'll realize that they could hire a virtual overseas person for $8 an hour and you'll be out of a job. A crappy job, but you'll still be out of that job. Now you might be saying to yourself, but Ann, I'm a brand new paralegal and the only job that's being offered to me is for $15 an hour. Look, you can get a job literally anywhere that will pay you $15 an hour and you will have a heck of a lot less stress than you will if you're working for an attorney who thinks that a paralegal is only worth $15 an hour. Besides, the type of work that you're going to be doing is probably not going to be teaching you anything about being a paralegal. I want to help better insulate you from the potential loss of a job to someone like that or from a firm that can pay a lot less money or even to AI. Now, AI is a different situation because I feel like AI is going to be something positive for the paralegal profession. I know. Stick with me on that one. I'm going to be doing a whole other episode about that soon. Let me give you a few ways to build up what I'm going to call your paralegal career armor to protect yourself. Assuming you're in a normal kind of paralegal position that's only slightly underpaid, or maybe you're not underpaid at all, but still a little anxious about your job security. First, and the most important, is to get yourself into a paralegal position that is not primarily focused on repetitive, easy tasks that could easily be done by anyone else. You know, those types of things that don't really require any special skills or experience or analytical type function. And you want to do this anyways, because if that's your primary job function, repetitive, easy tasks, those tasks might eventually be done by AI. So what does that mean or what does that look like? Well, let me give you an example. If you're a personal injury paralegal, let's say you spend a majority of your day sending out form requests and form cover letters or emails requesting medical records from healthcare providers, and that's pretty much all you do. 
that doesn't require much special knowledge. Now, yes, it requires skill, and yes, people can mess it up bad. But not only could that job be replaced potentially by someone overseas, it could potentially be replaced by an automated process through AI, and it could potentially be replaced by those companies that do it. Your firm could essentially outsource that to a company that automates those things, and it's all online. So what can you do? Well, here's an example. One of the things that I teach inside the Personal Injury Paralegal Boot Camp is to be the person who finds and fixes the bottleneck in a plaintiff's personal injury firm. When you're the person who does that, you become an indispensable member of the legal team. Why would you be indispensable? Well, because in a plaintiff's PI firm, they need cash flow. That cash flow is restricted if a lot of their claim files get stuck in one of the various phases of that pre-litigation side of the claim. If you're someone who is directly and positively impacting the cash flow of the law firm, you are more indispensable. You are more valuable. Now, on the flip side of that, on the defense side, if you're a paralegal working on tasks that get billed to the client, then make sure you're hitting that billable hour target every year. That's impacting cash flow. Also, if you're on the defense side and you're billing hours, but a majority of your day is spent doing admin type tasks that you can't bill for, get those off your plate. Your billable hours are a lot more important than you think. Okay, so number one, look at what you're doing on a daily basis and move away from the repetitive tasks that can easily be done by someone else who doesn't have your level of knowledge or experience in that area. If that means you need to get some additional training to do that, then get the training, even if you have to pay for it yourself. Okay, number two, when possible, choose to work for larger firms. Now, I'm not saying the Goliath firms, but those huge firms will be a lot less likely to take the risk of hiring someone overseas to replace their paralegals. Trust me, I spent my entire career in big Goliath firms. And I loved them. I loved working for those law firms. Now, the other thing about that is that they have bigger pockets. They have bigger payroll. The bigger firms would never think of hiring a paralegal, right? Out, even a paralegal right out of school. They're not paying $15 an hour. Now, there's the pros and cons working for big law versus small. And yeah, I guess I need to do an episode about that. I need to start writing these down. But, you know, When you're working for a solo practitioner or a small firm, say, you know, two to five attorneys, they're the ones who are more strapped for cash. And especially if it's on the plaintiff side, right? Because those are all just out-of-pocket expenses. Your payroll is an out-of-pocket expense. That's the way they look at it. If they can hire two paralegals from Costa Rica or Nigeria for $6 an hour each instead of two paralegals in the U.S. for $20 an hour, which is still really low, by the way, per hour. But think about that. That's cutting their payroll in half. So yeah, they might do it as a business decision. Now, we could go into all the consequences and repercussions and stories I've heard out there about what happens, but this isn't with that. Now, before I start getting all kinds of hate mail from solo attorneys out there, not that that many attorneys listen to the podcast, but You know, before I start getting the hate mail, obviously, 
my listeners are smart enough to know that nothing I say applies to all firms, all attorneys, or all paralegals. Look, I'm not saying you should never work for a small firm, like small, small, you know, one attorney or two to five attorneys, because I know a lot of what people would consider small firms that maybe have 10 or 12 attorneys that are the best place to work. I'm not saying you should never work for a small firm. Maybe you're one of the lucky ones who landed a great job working for a solo attorney and he or she treats you well, pays you well, and you love the work that you're doing. That's awesome. Consider yourself lucky and stay there. But if you're working for a solo attorney being paid $15 an hour with little to no benefits, I'd be updating my resume and putting feelers out for something that pays better and is at a little bit bigger of a firm. Even if it's only a firm with five attorneys, six attorneys. Now, you just have a lot less risk there. And remember, this is what we're talking about. We're not talking pros and cons, big firm, small firm. It's just where's your risk and where can you build up your career armor? Okay, number three, regardless of where you're working, what size firm it is, try to be more client facing. If your attorney's clients are used to contacting you for things and they like you, and especially if the attorney knows they like you, that's going to be hard for the attorney to one day say, hey, Chelsea no longer works here. I'm replacing her with people overseas. All right, number four, if you're a legal assistant and not a paralegal yet, get the skills and training you need to get promoted to a paralegal position. From what I've learned so far in my research, it's a lot easier to find overseas people who can fill these legal assistant roles. Um, It's a lot easier to find legal assistant ones than it is paralegals because they've already been doing general virtual assistant work like calendaring, emails, and, you know, administrative type work. So it's going to be a lot harder to find someone who can replace, for example, a construction litigation paralegal who manages that case from start to finish. Or, you know, a real estate paralegal who does big commercial real estate transactions. They're not replacing you. All right, number five, consider gaining some leadership skills. Leadership skills, why? Well, because if you are at a firm that might eventually outsource to other virtual legal assistants overseas, someone's going to need to manage them. Your attorneys do not want to manage a team of five paralegals from Costa Rica. They don't even want to manage a team of five U.S. paralegals, right? They're definitely not going to want to manage a team of five who are in another country and can only do basic administrative tasks. They're not going to want to do it. They're going to need you to manage them. And that, my friend, is a good thing. If there is a bright side to this, And if, let's say, we're assuming this is all true, the bright side would be those five people could be doing all the mundane, boring work that you don't want to be doing anyways. Then your time is freed up to do higher level work. Now, I do often say, though, just because someone's a great paralegal, that doesn't automatically equate them to being a great paralegal manager. So you're going to want to go get some additional leadership and management training. Number six, update your resume. Do it now. Put time on your calendar every weekend for the next month. Spend one hour 
updating and tweaking your resume and then your LinkedIn profile to match your resume. Even if you're not in a risky situation where you're worried about your job security, I think every one of you should spend time every year updating your resume. That's the only way you're going to remember all the great accomplishments that you've had this year. If you wait until five years down the road when you're ready to maybe explore other job opportunities, you're not going to remember that massive project that you tackled three years ago. All right, last but not least, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face. For this one, it's super important for this particular episode. Think about your career security so that your job security doesn't matter as much. For those of you who are new to the podcast, I'll put a link to the episode on creating career security over job security if you want to take a deeper dive. Essentially, it means what skills and knowledge do you need to make sure that you're not just able to do your current job, but also your future job? Here's an example. I hear from paralegals in smaller firms all the time who say, I don't need to learn anything about e-discovery because we don't do e-discovery at our firm. The attorney just wants me to print out all those emails so they can review them in paper. I don't do e-discovery. If you're a litigation paralegal who doesn't do e-discovery and doesn't know how to do e-discovery, you're putting your career at risk. When it's time to leave that current job of yours that doesn't do e-discovery, whether you're leaving by choice or because you've been let go, you're going to have a tougher time finding a better position as a litigation paralegal if you don't know e-discovery, which means your employment opportunities are going to be limited to that same small firm that doesn't do e-discovery because they're the only ones who aren't going to care as much that you don't have e-discovery experience or training. And those are the ones down the street that are going to pay you the same as this attorney. I want to add a side note here. I've heard and seen the complaining online from attorneys and recruiters saying that ever since the pandemic, nobody wants to work anymore. I hear them saying, we just can't find anyone to fill these paralegal positions. It's not that all of a sudden, all of these paralegals don't want to work anymore. They just don't want to work for crappy wages. And if they do take your low-paying job because they have to, because they live in a small town or your job is the only one available, don't expect that person to come skipping joyfully into work, going above and beyond to show you how great of a paralegal they are. You know the saying, you get what you pay for. So if you're going to pay $15 an hour, you're going to get $15 an hour worth of work out of that person. Kind of like saying, I'm going to pay for a Prius and hope it drives like a Porsche, you know? Now, you might say, well, Anne, that's why we're hiring overseas people because they go above and beyond and they do it for nine bucks an hour because their minimum wage is $3 an hour. When you hear that as a paralegal, here's what I want you to do. Let them. Have you ever heard the Mel Robbins let them theory? After you finish this podcast episode, go do a Google search for those words, Mel Robbins, let them theory. It's essentially where she says, instead of forcing your beliefs or trying to change someone's mind about something, and then you get upset that you're not able to change their mind and you're, you know, you 
struggle with it and it takes up time in your brain and out of your day. Instead, just let them. Let them think that way. Let them hire that person for $9 an hour. And you go find yourself a paralegal job working for an attorney who values you. And you'll be doing work that you enjoy. You're worth it. Listen, I'm telling you, if you don't take anything else away from this episode, take this away. Know that you're worth it and that you deserve it. I think you deserve it and you're worth it, even if you don't. All right. You've got a bunch of stuff to get done to start building up your career armor. Let me grab this paper real quick and just read back through these so that I've got them because I know it's been, we put quite a few in here. I think we've got seven of them. Okay, one was get additional training to move away from the repetitive tasks that anybody can do. Two, choose the firm carefully. The solos and those two and three people firms who are strapped for cash are more likely to go the cheap labor route overseas because that's all they can afford. Three, try to be in a position that has some client-facing time. Now, not all of these are going to be possible, right? Maybe it's not possible. I know as a litigation paralegal, particularly when I was doing construction litigation and antitrust, I never saw the client. I maybe talked to a representative of the client over the phone, but they were just big, huge monster cases. So maybe three is not going to be an option for you. Focus on one of the others. Four was, if you're not yet a paralegal, if you're a legal assistant, get the training and skills to be promoted to a paralegal position. Five, get leadership skills, because if they do hire all of that cheap labor, someone's going to need to manage them, and it's not going to be the attorneys. Six, update your resume and your LinkedIn profile every year. But do it now, right now. Don't wait till the end of 2024. Seven, pay attention to your career security. What's going to help you land that future paralegal position? So that if you are ever out of a job, it won't be long for you to find another job because you have the skills and training and experience that other employers are looking for. You know, doing this episode makes me think I might even open back up the paralegal job search boot camp. I'd have to revamp the whole thing. I had one years ago and I stopped doing it because I had started teaching it for a local paralegal school, but I'm not doing that anymore. And it might be something that I look into doing again. Um, Shoot me an email if that's something that you might be interested in. I'm not saying I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm just saying I might. All right, I hope you took a lot away from this episode. And if nothing else, even if you, you know, go back, write down those seven things. But even if you don't remember those seven things, regardless of it, what I want you to take away from this episode is you are worth more than $15 an hour. You deserve more than $15 an hour. All right, bye for now. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening. And please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today. Share the knowledge and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.